Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. The Center for Investment Excellence is an audio podcast that provides educational insights across asset classes and investment themes. Today's episode on emerging market equities has been recorded for institutional and professional investors. I'm Tim Morris, Emerging Market and Asia-Pacific Equities Investment Specialist and guest host for the Center for Investment Excellence. With me today is Leon Eidelman, Portfolio Manager for the Emerging Market and Asia-Pacific Equities team. Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence. Thanks for having me. For listeners who missed our most recent episode of the Center for Investment Excellence podcast channel, we will be focused on current market volatility, the impact on various asset classes, and how investors can best position themselves to withstand both current and future market conditions. Today, we're discussing emerging market equities, exploring how COVID-19, the decline in oil prices, and market volatility are impacting the asset class. First up, Leon, it seems like an eternity ago, but can you talk a little bit about what we're seeing across emerging market universe at the start of the year? Yeah, the beginning of the year was actually looking pretty reasonable. Earnings growth had started picking up. We had the trade war behind us. Economic activity across the asset class looked pretty benign. And so I think that we were really gearing up for what should have been a pretty good year for the asset class. Clearly, that's all changed now very quickly. Some of the volatility that we've seen in markets globally so far this year is quite often a more frequent occurrence in emerging markets. As a portfolio manager in this space who's been through periods of volatility like this before, how do you and your team think about investing in the current environment? Yeah, I mean, certainly emerging markets is more volatile than developing markets. I think the current situation is much more extreme, and it's probably closer to the financial crisis in nature than traditional emerging market routes. But I think that the playbook is pretty much the same one, which is to try and identify businesses that you think have the opportunity and ability to be much, much larger over time by serving the consumer well. And inevitably, what you find is that through the crises which will occur, these are businesses which have the ability to actually become stronger and take market share. So from my perspective, a lot of what we would look to do is first off, identify which businesses we think can fit into that category and have a very good idea of what those businesses are worth with an eye towards the long-term structural opportunity that they may have, and then look to use the volatility in markets as a chance to buy into names that we don't own or a chance to lean into names that we already own. So if you've already identified which assets are the most attractive ones, then you can use volatility to really position better than the average individual in the market who is not looking at the very long-term nature of these opportunities. Very interesting. So China is a large part of your investable universe, and it's certainly a market that's been wrestling with the impact of COVID-19 since late January. How has the situation evolved there, and what are we seeing on the ground today? So China does seem to have come out the other side of this situation. I think that what they did in terms of quarantining Wuhan very quickly and really moving to seize up economic activity to try and save the rest of the country seems to have worked. And so, whereas you had a pretty meaningful slowdown at the beginning of the year that extended past Wuhan, what you've now started to see is that most of the country is back to work. And so if you speak to large restaurant managers, for example, they would go from saying that 
only 10 to 20% of the outlets were open in Jan, Feb, to now saying something like 90% of the outlets are open. Now, traffic isn't back to where it would have been at an equivalent point last year. That's still slowly coming back on stream. But certainly the economy seems to be getting back on its feet slowly. I think that like the rest of the world, the Chinese government is also doing everything that it possibly can to try and ease the environment for businesses which have struggled from being shut down for as long as they have. Interesting. So broadening out maybe our observations, what are some other markets that have been wrestling with the issue and what kind of responses have we seen? Well, so it's a little early really across the board for most of the markets that we look at in that. At the end of the day, the response to the virus is really on the back of when infections first started. So for a lot of these countries, much like what you're seeing in the U.S., you're only now starting to go into the period where the shutdown will occur. Now, the one positive side note to this is that, A, I think that countries across our asset class are recognizing how serious the situation has been in places like the U.S. and Europe and are therefore rather quick to shut economic activity down. I mean, if you look at Colombia, Peru, and Chile, they've been enforcing a much more aggressive quarantine than what you've seen in the States, as an example. And they are being very proactive about making sure that they put up a first line of defense in not allowing the virus to spread to begin with. Now, the other thing which I think is incredibly important is that regulators globally do seem to be saying that they're going to do whatever it takes. And I think unlike the financial crisis where there was a question around whether the government would bail out actors which had gotten themselves into trouble, I think in this situation, the government is imposing a slowdown on the economy as a whole. And to a large extent, the banks, which were obviously vilified the last time around, the banks are being seen as the conduit for government to be able to assist a lot of the small and medium enterprises and a lot of the individual borrowers who are being affected by the slowdown. So by, quote unquote, doing whatever it takes, I think that what governments are looking to do is keep the economy in stasis. They recognize that we're going through an incredibly difficult period. They would like to give the economy a lifeline such that once we come out of this dark period, the economy can start right back up. And so that's going to entail quite a lot of unemployment support, quite a lot of support towards the banks in terms of pushing out debt liabilities. And again, at the moment, what we see is very clear intent to make this happen. And that's a global thing. We don't yet know exactly how it's going to work. And obviously, every country is going to have its own nuance. But I've never really seen such a concerted response from government to make sure that this is manageable for the economy. And clearly, markets have taken notice, not just of the scale of the potential risk here, but also of the very powerful policy responses in some cases. And that's led to a pickup in volatility in markets. What are some areas that on the back of that are starting to look a bit more attractive? And what type of adjustments have we been thinking about in our portfolios? So I think that I'd go back to where I started with respect to investment process. If what you look to do is identify businesses that are going to be very well positioned over the long term, 
then ultimately you have to recognize the difficulty that we're seeing in these economies from an operational perspective today is something which will be overcome. So no surprise, you're still going to want to veer towards the stronger operators. You are seeing some parts of the economy become stronger, become more attractive to consumers. If you look at online shopping, for example, you're looking at pickups in online shopping across the entire world. I mean, Amazon is slowly but surely rescuing the U.S. consumer, but its equivalents across the emerging world are doing exactly the same. You are seeing consumers who might not have been consuming virtual goods before doing so now. So you've had a whole cohort of individuals sign on to video streaming that the sort of Netflix would do in the U.S. or sign on to getting goods delivered and ordering everything online. This is the sort of thing where we believe that it's unlikely that those individuals revert back to their pre-crisis behaviors. And once you've activated those consumers, it's unlikely that they go back. And so it has been a boon towards businesses that are using the internet as a key pathway towards the delivery of service. And on the brick and mortar side of the equation, I think that what's important to note is that Clearly, the businesses that have the advantage of coming at this from a very clean balance sheet are in a much better place. And if you're being forced to shut down for a prolonged period of time and you have debt liabilities up to your neck, then clearly you're going to be in a very different place than a business that can afford to shut down, can afford to make the investments necessary to adjust for this difficult period. And that's why, again, those better businesses do tend to take market share during these types of environments. One of the other impacts has been that there's been quite a sharp adjustment in oil prices in recent weeks, as well as in different currencies within the asset class. How do you factor that into investment decisions that you're taking? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the impact from oil is more macroeconomic than anything else, and it does flow through into currencies. So as a major production item for countries like Russia, like Mexico, oil is going to have a huge impact in the value of their currencies. And so unsurprisingly, the ruble and the Mexican peso have been hit quite hard. You know, I would note, for example, that Russia's lifting costs are in rubles. So actually, the ruble going down helps cushion the blow from oil prices going down. And so the impact to an economy like Russia's from the change in the oil prices is arguably less than it would be for a country like Mexico, which doesn't have the benefits of those changes. So from an investment perspective, we tend to focus on businesses. We tend to focus on businesses that cater to the consumer. So we don't have a lot of exposure as an investment team to commodities per se. But obviously, we would watch what impact the change on those commodity prices would have on aggregate currencies and that Obviously, the returns that we seek to model are done in dollars, and the currency impact has been quite significant for a few countries in the asset class. So given the drawdown that we've seen in March, what are your thoughts on aggregate valuations in the asset class, and where do we go from here? I think aggregate valuations are unambiguously cheap. I mean, you're about 10% from where we were during the great financial crisis. You're pretty close 10, 15% from where we were during the Asian financial crisis. And historically, those have been very good points in time to buy. I think it's difficult for me to turn around and say that you can buy here and tomorrow markets will start going up. I think that there's quite a lot of uncertainty as to when this bottoms. But 
where valuation becomes useful is if you stand back a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, I think that it would be unlikely that looking back, you would think that this was a bad time to allocate to the asset class because at every point in time when valuation has been at these levels, it has been very turbulent. Visibility has been minimal. That's why valuation gets to where it gets to. But at the same token, if you're a long-term investor, you can use that to your advantage and look to position. Because again, over time, the asset class should recover and eventually more normal valuations should come back. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining me on the Center for Investment Excellence. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for joining us today on the J.P. Morgan Center for Investment Excellence. CFA Institute members are encouraged to self-document their continuing professional development activities in their online CE tracker. If you found our insights useful, you can find more episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts or on our website. Recorded on April 2nd, 2020. For institutional wholesale professional clients and qualified investors only, not for retail use or distribution, not for retail distribution, this communication has been prepared exclusively for institutional, wholesale, professional clients and qualified investors only, as defined by local laws and regulations. The views contained herein are not to be taken as advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any investment in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any forecasts, figures, opinions or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit and accounting implications and determine, together with their own professional advisors, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase and & Company and its affiliates worldwide. To the extent permitted by applicable law, we may record telephone calls and monitor electronic communications to comply with our legal and regulatory obligations and internal policies. Personal data will be collected, stored and processed by J.P. Morgan Asset Management in accordance with our privacy policies at https colon slash slash am dot jpmorgan.com slash global slash privacy. This communication is issued by the following entities in the United States by J.P. Morgan Investment Management Inc. or J.P. Morgan Alternative Asset Management Inc., both regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in Latin America for intended recipients use only by local J.P. Morgan entities, as the case may be, in Canada, for institutional clients use only, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Canada Inc., which is a registered portfolio manager and exempt market dealer in all Canadian provinces and territories except the Yukon and is also registered as an investment fund manager in British Columbia, Ontario, Quebec and Newfoundland and Labrador, in the United Kingdom, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, UK, Limited.
which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, in other European jurisdictions, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Europe S. A. Grave R.L., in Asia-Pacific, APAC, by the following issuing entities and in the respective jurisdictions in which they are primarily regulated, J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Asia-Pacific, Limited, or J.P. Morgan Funds, Asia, Limited, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets, Asia, Limited, each of which is regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong, J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Singapore, Limited, Company, Reg, No. 197,601,586K, which this advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore, J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Taiwan, Limited, J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Japan, Limited, which is a member of the Investment Trusts Association, Japan, the Japan Investment Advisors Association, Type 2 Financial Instruments Firms Association and the Japan Securities Dealers Association and is regulated by the Financial Services Agency, Registration Number Kanto Local Finance Bureau, Financial Instruments Firm, Number 330, in Australia, to wholesale clients only as defined in Section 761A and 761G of the Corporations Act 2001, Commonwealth by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Australia, Limited, ABN 55143832080, AFSL 376919, Copyright 2020 J.P. Morgan Chase & Company All Rights Reserved.